All right. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another No Idea Podcast. This is episode number what? Three. Five. five. Okay, five. <laughs> nice. Nice job. This is number five. Got to carry God, it dude. Wow. This is episode number five featuring Lucas Barth. We'll introduce him in a minute here. But uh, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you do that. Uh, hit that little bell thing to make sure that you stay in the loop when we uh, when we release some new content because the content, the shit that we're releasing is good stuff. So you don't want to miss it. Uh, and then the other thing is make sure you, you listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe there, whether it's on, uh, what is it, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all that good good stuff. Just also check out our website, yep, website. Uh, noidea.tv uh, for any updated merch or other things merch merch Merch. speaking of we're real luke we're we're for real speaking well hold on (laughs) speaking of merch like do you ever see the color of like our first hat that we got that luke's son oh yeah Yeah. you see the you see the color of it right now oh it's so gross it looks like the most disgusting (laughs) hat ever yeah so we are so glad that you are watching or tuning in but here we what's what's new what's no, um, what's nothing. new with us right I now got the, and i got the boat in for the first time <laughs> yeah, on the right. water so that was great <laughs> and luke how did your trip up to canada go yeah yeah luke wow. canada the fishing was great uh but my boat broke <laughs> <laughs> so i have a really expensive anchor <laughs> is well, it oh day one my boat worked Day two, the water pump went out, so my boat didn't work. So it's uh, it floats. It just doesn't go. So that's about all it does. Pretty much. Uh, and so, we'll so, so what did you do? How did you salvage your trip? I had to rent another boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I rented a 16 and a half foot with a 50 horsepower tiller motor on it. A little Ooh. tin can. Ooh. Still caught some fish, but I had to back troll. No trolling motor. And no depth finder. What does back troll mean? Uh, you put it in reverse. And you go backwards? You go backwards. Back troll. It's a little easier to control the boat when you're captaining the boat with a tiller motor. you got to understand, Aaron and I fish from a pontoon. (laughs) We pull up to the same spot every year with mom and dad and put out an anchor, and we fish the same spot every single year. There's no trolling and. But Dad did get a trolling motor. He did. He bought a he bought a yeah. trolling motor from a friend. I called Mom. They were out on the pontoon today, and I called Mom, and they just got on the water, and Dad couldn't figure out. They thought the propeller was just going around because the wind. Well, no, it was on. It was on. That's such a that is a Sturgis thing. That's a Sturgis thing to do. So, Aaron, what do we got? Uh, okay, do we, we got, got first. Here? So we have a no idea news. We gotta figure out how to what to name this. So if you're watching or listening, comment, let us know what we should name this segment. This is basically a segment of, well, dipshits, um, but we also talk about things that can affect anglers and hunting and fishing and so, so forth that are happening, whether it's in Washington or at the state level. So uh, here we go. Let's start, with the, let's start with the first one. This one's a serious one. I, I mean, they're both serious. So there's a congressman who is introduced, he just introduced a bill. His name is Andrew Clyde. From Georgia, and I was told that when you uh, when when you uh, read what he says, you're supposed to um, you're supposed to kind of picture the guy from 
uh, what was that? What was that? Uh, Daisy Duke, uh, Duke's a Hazard, the guy that wears a white suit. In Dukes of Hazard. Oh, the sh isn't that the sheriff? Yeah, the sheriff. the sheriff. You're supposed to picture this guy because this is how he talks and this is kind of his attitude. It's the funniest thing ever. But anyways, Georgia Congressman Andrew Clyde and 53 co-sponsors introduced a bill last week. To uh, it's The bill is called Return uh, Our Constitutional Rights. And what this would do is it would eliminate the federal excise tax on firearms and ammunition. Now, Return stands for repealing excise tax on unalienable rights now, he says. So just to give you a background uh, uh, really, um, really quick, this is, this is to repeal, repeal Pittman-Robertson, uh, which was basically established in 1937. And the whole point of this, now remember, this act in 1937 was bipartisan. That's Democrats, Republicans. That's good. Yep. And it, it, the sole purpose was to ge it generates hundreds of millions of dollars every year to fund the conservation and land access efforts of state wildlife agencies. Representative Clyde said he wants to repeal this funding because the tax, guess what, infringes on what? The Second, Second Amendment. Amendment. He says this, in case my Democrat colleagues forgot, the Bill of Rights enumerates right, the Bill of Rights enumerates rights to which the government cannot infringe. Unquestionably, infringement exists when the government taxes those rights to limit the people's ability. Then he goes on to say, it's a, this is the common phrase on, uh, on this side. As assaults against American Second Amendment freedoms continue to emerge, so do treacherous threats that seek to weaponize taxation in order to price this constitutional right out of each, and, uh, each of the average Americans. So I think he's saying that one of the ways that they're you know, conspiring to take our guns away is to tax the shit out of us. Mm. And if they tax it so much, then guess what? We won't be able to afford our guns. And that's how they get ya, he says. So um, here's the thing. Um, you guys got any comments yet so far? You need some more? No. Nope, nope. um, I need some more White Claw. My, 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 <laughs> no um, comments. The, so obviously the conservationists see the federal excise tax on firearms and ammunition as? It's a freaking thing, good thing. Because it's money. Yep. Money coming in. It's revenue for them. Yep, absolutely. It's it's perfect. So do you know how much, does it say anything about how much, they if they do away with this, how is it, are we talking hundreds of thousands? Are we talking millions of dollars? Are we talking billions of dollars that they would well, lose? Um, obviously, there's money to gain, but there's obviously money to so lose. So the press release neglects to mention that the maximum amount that can be transferred, okay, so he's saying we're going to cut this out, and in order to replace this, right, this revenue, uh, we'll take it from the oil and gas revenues. Um, but uh, the, there's only a maximum amount that can be transferred from oil and gas revenues, and that's $800 million, which is a nice chunk of change. But here we go. Ready? To answer your question, the Pittman-Robertson alone generated over $1 billion 
in 2020 and 1 billion so in 2020. That was a good question. That was a damn good question. It was a good Normally yeah. I don't ask good ones. <laughs> Normally I get made fun of. Yeah, a- absolutely. So, but here's the other thing, something to think about. And for all you listeners, if you're watching, listening, it's also worth noting that according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, gun sales We'll talk about this in a minute because you sold a lot of guns. Gun sales are at an unprecedented level right now. Firearm production right now is at an unprecedented level. In fact, uh, you couldn't for the longest time. You, well, you still it's still hard to get your hands on them. So, uh, and all of this has risen substantially since 1990s. So, if the Pittman Robertson was actually, if this tax was actually hurting the gun industry wouldn't the opposite be happening uh, but aren't they fearful of it increasing the tax increasing isn't that why they're doing it possibly um, because if the tax is where it's currently at then yeah but it sounds like they're using it as a counter for an in- a potential increase in the taxes yeah so uh, no I would say to that question that wouldn't make sense to me. Right. I understand what the, the comment would be, but I would say if the tax increased by, what did they say, 1,000%? If Yes, if the tax increased by 1,000%, and then a year later, let's check the gun sales and then see if it affected it. Well, If he, you eliminate the tax, let's see what the gun sales do, and then we'll yeah. evaluate it. I don't think it would move the needle on that right. either way. Right. But the Taxing it or the, not taxing it, I don't think it's going to move the needle. Right, the Pittman Robertson one. It's not. That's that's a set sales tax on firearms. Correct, but didn't at the beginning didn't you say somebody wanted to increase that yeah, tax there was a, a thousand percent? There was a Democrat out in uh, I forget his uh, where about out in Virginia actually, uh, which he he recently introduced a bill that would impose a thousand percent tax on semi-automatic weapons. Okay. So is it is this boss hog guy? That's he's the county commissioner. I, it just it wasn't the sheriff. He's the county commissioner. county commissioner. So the boss hog guy is is his proposition in kind of a as a as a result of the Virginia guy's proposal. Who knows? Who knows? Or is it an extreme? Because you know, right now it's the extreme. But okay, here's one other thing to think about. Okay, here's one other thing to think about. Um, this Clyde guy, Boss Hog, guess what he owns in Georgia? Uh, weapons factory. Yes. Ammunition factory. Absolutely. So saying that, I'm sure he's motivated. I mean, these they all work for the best interests of their constituents. They would never want to better their, yeah. So there might be some selfless desires to protect the Second Amendment, but I'm sure he stands to gain something from this. No. Possibly, I don't know. We have, I mean, that's that's for the gun sales that we know about. That's right. not for the gun sale, at, you know, Cornell High School, where it's just who knows what guns are being sold and bought there. Um, so this is just for the gun sales that we know about. So I don't know. Right. Something to keep watch over. That will be. That was just introduced yesterday. Uh, yep, yesterday. So. Okay. It doesn't sound like it'll get anywhere. Though. All right, here's a good one. This one's a this one's an awesome one. Uh, we'll 
we'll we'll share we'll put the link to this one in the show notes uh, down below. But Pennsylvania man, methed up poacher shoots friend while coyote hunting. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He has been charged with aggravated assault, reckless endangerment, after he allegedly shot his friend in the neck during a meth-fueled coyote hunt. So, Michael, he's 47, and his best friend, this is the funny thing, they've been best friends for over 20 years, they both stood up, they're both each other's best man in their wedding. Uh, after this incident, um, they haven't really talked at all. Um, and his best friend, Joseph, both admitted to take, taking methamphetamine prior to the incident on January 14th. Lynn testified at a hearing on Wednesday that he had been taking meth for at least three days as a stimulant so they could stay up at night to hunt coyotes. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's like a new one. Better ways. So. Think coffee. Yeah. Or. Wall, so this guy says he, he used a call to track coyotes, and after about a half an hour, a pair saw three sets of eyes glowing in the shine of their headlights. The men took turns shooting at the animals with their 223 Remingtons, and after the second shot, Lynn said he thought he saw a white belly of an animal on the ground. So he got up to go investigate it, but couldn't locate the animal. On his way back, he saw his friend shake his light at him, which he thought meant more coyotes were in the area. So Lynn looked behind him, probably looked over his shoulder, but when he turned back, he saw a muzzle flash. <laughs> he said, I could see the silhouette, and then all of a sudden I could see his muzzle flash. Lynn was shot in the neck. He said his right arm is almost paralyzed. He still has bu bullet fragments in his back that are too close to the spine to remove, and those fragments cause him constant pain. And then here it is. They haven't spoken since the incident, according to uh, uh, Joe's uh, lawyer. The two men have been best friends for 20 years. Um, here's the best part. Walnut claims that he shot Lynn accidentally, but Lynn doesn't buy it. How do you shoot someone with a red light on his head wearing an orange coat? He asked during the, during the hearing. Here you go. Ready? He claims that after Walnut shot him, Walnut took the meth in Lynn's wallet along with $100 before calling 911. <laughs> I don't. Should we be laughing? Is that. You can't pick <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then the best part is officers later found, because remember, they're, they were basically blasting at three sets of eyes. They never said they were coyotes. They just said they saw three sets of eyes. Officers later found a white-tailed deer that had been badly wounded near the site of the incident, and they recovered a bullet that matched the type of projectile that Lynn was firing. Damn. I wonder if these two guys are still married even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. God. That's just 223 to the neck. It wouldn't feel too good. No. No. That's... Well, I, I got nothing. You got nothing? <laughs> no, I just, I just uh, the fact that they were hopped up on meth so they could stay awake to hunt coyotes. Yeah, just don't do that. And then, yeah, don't do the meth. <laughs> so, okay, if you're listening, to my right is my brother Adam. We never really introduced each other. That's oh, Adam. Yeah, I'm Adam. That's Aaron over there on yeah, the left. Aaron on the left. This is if you're listening. And in the middle, right here. The rose between two thorns. Yep. Wow. The man, <laughs> the myth, and the legend. 
Luke Barth. Luke, how you doing? doing How's great. life? Doing hello, great. everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Man. Thanks for having me. Are you getting the itch to hunt yet? I always have the itch to hunt. Mm-hmm. It's more of a barrier in my life than anything. <laughs> Do you have uh, cameras out yet? I have five cameras out. Oof. What and kind? Spy point. Yes. Mic- Wait, the cell okay. cams, the microlinks or whatever. Microlink. The microlinks. Okay. There you go. Is that all that? That's the only one you got? Yes. You got five of them. Correct. Nice. And you get some deer here and there. Get a couple bear, a couple things. Raccoons. A couple fox. Bear. You said bear, right? Bear. Were any any cubs this spring? Mm-mm. We had a big sow with her cub on there. That was big. It was huge. We also had a wolf with a collar on. Yes, wow. we did. That was fun. Yep. We haven't seen any wolves like up in a camera other wolves. than that one. Wolves. Wolves is a lot of fo- uh, fox and coyote though. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of wolf up by us. We're up in northern Minnesota. Up in it, northern Minnesota. Any oh. um, any big ones? Any. Any are gonna are there gonna be any that will make the do not shoot list or the shoot list? If we drew a tag, we would have an opportunity. Yes. No, if, for deer. I was wondering yeah. that too. I was thinking wolves are wolves are. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're setting them up no. here. Yeah, I know. Uh, we, we we did have we a did DNR. just have a DNR <laughs> agent on last show. So I mean, <laughs> if it was legal to hunt and we drew a tag, we would hunt a wolf. You'd be done in twelve hours. Pretty much. Yeah, but no, where we hunt, uh, you shoot anything you can as far as white-tailed deer. Cool. Yeah. So how, so Elk River, Minnesota, born and raised. Born and raised. Um, and then we, actually, you meet Aaron in college. You're same age? You guys are the same age? You, yeah. Aaron's five years older than me. So Are, are you, you guys, 44 yet? I am. You're 43. I'm 43. I'm yes. 43, yes. Graduated I'm Elk River, went to Wisconsin, Eau Claire, met Aaron. Actually, you kind of just evolved. <laughs> One day you, you were there. I know. We, <laughs> I remember the first time meeting you with, with Nate. Yep. And I was just randomly in your apartment, and that's just kind of how it went. You never left. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. It's, it's just kind of... Kind of was there. Yeah, <laughs> And then you kind of just showed up as a neighbor one day. Yeah. During swine flu. Yeah. (laughs) I do remember that. (laughs) So go. Let's rewind a little bit. Um, You know, we know you as a great outdoorsman. I say that very loosely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. No, but seriously though, we we know you as an outdoorsman from uh, hunting and fishing and uh, everything outdoors. So. Uh, tell us a little bit about getting into hunting. Um, you know, we, we know your family a little bit, but tell us a little bit about how did you get into hunting um, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so grew up in a family where uh, everything we did from summer vacations were camping in northern Minnesota catching sunfish. And then it was a family kind of event to have deer hunting at my mom and dad's house. So we've been you know, in a home that always valued uh, the hunting, the outdoors, the conservation, uh, everything that, that goes along with anything outdoors. Uh, but as far as hunting and fishing are concerned, I've been doing it forever and ever and ever. Um, in Minnesota, we could legally hunt at age 12. So the first time carrying a legal firearm in a deer stand was 12. 
Hmm. Um, what, kind, what kind of gun was it? Yeah, what was your it first was one? It was a uh, 20 gauge Mossberg <laughs> shotgun, fixed choke. The plug was rusted in it, so you could only put three shells on it. <laughs> um, do you and see, I, I saw some deer. Do you still have that gun? We do, yes. Uh, so there's four of you. Correct. Did each one of you have to use that one when you first hunted, or did you, each of you get your own? So my older brother and myself are, are, uh, love the outdoors much more than my younger two. So we use the Mossberg 20-gauge. Uh, but then by the time my two younger brothers got through, we had some more shotguns in the home. Nice. So, Do you remember your first kill? First, Yeah. I don't want to say legal because that insinuates that you shot something not legal. But your first kill with that. Yes. Uh, didn't, did not get it with a 20-gauge Mossberg. So in 19, uh, what would that have been? 78, 88, 1990-ish? I uh, hunted with the Mossberg, then we bought some land in northern Minnesota, and I hunted with a 30 6 Remington 742. And if you know what that gun is, it's a semi-automatic rifle that had some significant problems with the bullets ejecting. But that was my first, uh, first gun I got to, to rifle hunt with. And it was, I think, the opening Sunday, the weekend Sunday morning, I had a little spike buck come and got the opportunity to shoot. Shot it at about 40 yards, which felt like it was 400. And, uh, yeah, the antlers are still on the wall. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's amazing. That's so cool. That's so cool. But, uh, but you've always been an avid outdoor enthusiast. Like you and Renee, um, you guys took off up to Alaska for a while. Yep. Um, yeah, we uh, packed two bags, got on an airplane, it got off the airplane in Anchorage, Alaska, and kind of looked around and said, well, now what do we do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> didn't know a soul, didn't have any money, uh, rented an apartment, rented a car, or got a car. Um, two years later, came home. But in that two years, we spent endless days hiking in the mountains, mm -hmm. fishing salmon, fishing halibut. You didn't hunt, though. Did you uh, we hunted one weekend, uh, but just the two of us, we couldn't, out of good faith and good practice, take care of a moose or take care of a caribou. Um, or bear, so we we chose not to, um, just because we couldn't couldn't deal with all the meat, just the two of us. But we did fish a lot. Um, it's hard now, as 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 I get older, to think that I was tired of eating salmon and halibut because you could only have <laughs> lemon pepper halibut, yes, <laughs> Cajun yes. salmon, <laughs> and garlic, yeah. you know, garlic <laughs> fish or whatever. So yeah, we miss it, but it was a great part of our life. Um, my wife also really enjoys the outdoors yeah. and, and we've really now with our kids they love it too yeah kids you got three three boys so how many um and each two of them hunt right now currently yes my youngest is will be hunting next year okay bow nope he'll start with a rifle rifle okay so how many guns do you will renee watch us no, but that's okay. a question you can't you ever can't ask, ask anybody. No. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Aaron, always asks, Aaron always asks the dumbest question. I do. When we were out in Wyoming uh, three weeks ago, yeah, we're staying on a cattle ranch, and yeah. Aaron asks the ranchers, ah, oh, how many head of cattle you got out there? And he looks at him and goes, have I ever asked you how many times you have sex in a night? Aaron's like, no, why? He goes, yeah, because it's rude. Don't ever ask that <laughs> Don't again. Don't ask. <laughs> it's like, okay. I didn't know. I didn't hey, know. You so know. Guns are the same thing, though. I, 
kind of that. But well. we do have to get into it. I hope we talk about, too, you have to have firearms for different types of animals. Yes. So we can talk about that. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's safe to say you at least have one. Correct. Okay. I have one. <laughs> Jesus. That's good. So you're, I mean, obviously, I mean, it sounds like it was a family thing growing up, hunting, fishing, all that kind of stuff. So would you say, is there, is there like a single most influential person or is it just more of a whole family type of a Great thing? question. Hands down, my dad. Um, growing up, my dad really was not in a family of hunter, um, hunters and fisher people. So he didn't get into hunting and fishing until an older age. So he started to have kids, he had four boys, um, and then he started to get into it and that really, his love of it really grew. Um, and it really now has become part of us as a Barth family. So Cool. So that led you to college. Yep. And we talked about um, Alaska. Yep. But you had, a, you had a job too though, and this is why I'm gonna kind of segue into our discussion today. So you had a job at a sports store here in town. Yep. Um, and what, what did your job entail? I had the opportunity to sell firearms every day for years and years. How many years did you do that? Do you uh, remember? A total, probably seven. Wow. Yeah. At one point, I even quit college for a year, worked full time. Just sell selling fire. guns. Yep. Dang. Yeah. That's hmm. it. Um, Loved every minute of it. Would you say that's, that's where you really, your, your, um, just passion for, for rifles and guns just really took off? Yeah, um, and really the knowledge when we, when we worked there, you had to know something about everything. So we really dove into uh, different types of firearms, different types of calibers, different types of uh, ways to hunt, ways to fish and whatnot. It kind of became us. We loved it, obviously in our family, but then if I was going to sit across the counter and talk to somebody about a 30 6 I needed to know something about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a great part of my life. Um, I could see as I get older, once I retire, getting back getting into back something. Getting back into like, it? Yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Plus, you, you just you, you met probably such a, a, a cool group of people. Yeah. Um, well, and every day you got to, to see pictures of deer and elk yeah. and moose and bear and you hang out with like-minded thinkers. Has the has the sport, whether you know whether you, however you want to refer to it, hunting, uh, but has has rifles? Have you seen a huge um, evolution in, in the rifle industry since you were working there? Because you're talking you're talking early two thousand, right? Two thousand, two thousand one. Um, have you seen a big evolution in in rifles right now? Um. For the hunting firearm, like a bolt-action firearm, not a lot has no. changed. Okay. There has been, obviously, more with the, like, a, a two twenty three, a sporting-type rifle. Those have changed a little bit. They're much more available mm -hmm. than they were. Um, but as far as the foundation of, like, a Remington 700 BDL, which is a, a style of a firearm, a bolt-action, that model really hasn't yeah. changed a whole lot. But there's still, you know, 20... 20 years ago, there's still synthetic stainless yes. steel. Yep. Um, yep. You know, you and, think yep. Tikas and... T Tika um, was not really around when I was there. Yeah. So it was the Saco brand, which is in essence a, a, the higher-end Tika, but 
Yeah. Yeah. So things like that have changed a little bit, but the foundation of an action, they have not changed a whole mm -hmm. lot. Um, what was, when you were working there, what was the most sought after rifle of that time? Like right now, right now it seems, and we'll talk about this in a little, in a little <laughs> bit, but right now it sounds like the 6.5 Creedmoor oh is the one that everybody loves. I'll hold my lip for a little oh. bit. Yep. Uh, which is, uh, which I will say I have one because I want you it. You want it. I want it. I didn't go seek a 6.5 Creedmoor. But um, what was the most sought after rifle? I would say we sold for a bolt action rifle. It was a Remington 700, okay. um, which is a you know, bolt action, any caliber. Typically, a 30 6 would have been the most popular. And then a Browning A-Bolt would probably be up there as well. Semi-automatic would have been the Remington 7400. Way back, it was a 742, but they had some issues with it. Um, so, yeah, they're still around today. The 700, Remington's not really right now making the 700, um, but I anticipate that coming back. Remington go out of business? I don't Did know they if it really bankrupt? went out of business, but they had some lawsuits that they had to settle and... And that had something to do with how, like, what was it? What? I know, so my Remington 700 had a, a faulty trigger that had to get replaced. So Oof. that could have been yeah. part of it. That was a, uh, the, my 7mm mm -hmm. had that too. Uh, but our trigger had already been replaced yeah. before that. Even but I don't know specifically pipe. what happened. I don't know either. I, I keep getting the, the mailings, <laughs> yeah. you know, the class action, whatever. And, right. but yeah. What was the weirdest rifle you sold? Do you know? Ooh. Do you remember? Weirdest rifle. Well, I sold a four, it was a Ruger bolt action in a caliber of 416 Rigby. Okay. Which is huge. Um, I actually had an opportunity to shoot it, sold it to a friend, um, and it was, if you would quote unquote, like an elephant gun. Yeah. It is huge. And it is not very fun to shoot at all. Okay. Very, very expensive. Very, very big round. Very intimidating to shoot it as well. But a 416 Rigby was probably the weirdest. Wow, 416. Yeah. What would you, is that? What like caliber was it? 416 Rigby. <laughs> that's, that's usually that's the, the I guys get confused with the model numbers. and the, yeah. that's, so that's, that's why you're here. 416, that's a step up from a 410, <laughs> right? It is a um, humongous gun. Yeah. Huge. So you're taking that on a safari? Yeah. yeah. You're not shooting uh, probably a white-tailed deer huh. around Wisconsin. All right. So Adam just touched on it. This perfect segue because I don't, I don't know, I don't know shit about this stuff. When you get into like the calibers yep. or uh, cartridges, somebody corrected me the other day, and they're like, technically, it's not a caliber. You're talking cartridges. I'm like, whatever. So what? What makes a caliber like, like, I mean, I can I can set my son's two forty three, my my dad's thirty thirty, my two my two seventy, and then Adam's seven M. I can set those up. You can say, yeah, I can see the difference. They're bigger. This mm -hmm. one, the casing is 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 taller and and whatnot. But what what sets a caliber? What what makes a two forty three a hey? That's a two forty three. So it would be the size of the bullet that gets shot out, the projectile that gets shot. Okay. So a 30 6 a 300 Winchester, a 308, all have a 30 caliber bullet. 
So it's the same size bullet that's being shot out of your firearm. So say that again one more time. That's so three, 308, 308, 30 out six, 300 Winchester Magnum, yep. 3030, all have a .30 caliber bullet. Gotcha. That's a 30 caliber bullet. So a yep. 270 would have a smaller bullet projectile that you're shooting, but the casing that the bullet sits in is basically the same as a 30 out six just what they call neck down to a 270 bullet. So okay. it's a lot of basically the size of the bullet that you're shooting. Okay. Basically. So, size, not so much like, like length as it is weight, right? Well, no? so the weight then comes into, um, so a take a 30-06 because it's a standard um, bullet that most people know, and I am a huge... 30 caliber fan. <laughs> no. I thought I just plugged we'll talk, that. We'll right. talk about that in a, a little bit. Yeah. But um, the 30-06 or the 30 caliber bullet that you're shooting out has different weights. It can get up to like a 220 grain, maybe 240, down to like a 140, 150 grain bullet. So you have a lot of range of depending on what kind of animal you're shooting. So if you're going to shoot, say, a white-tailed deer, mm -hmm. 180 grain 30-06 bullet would be a pretty standard shell that you would sh see around here. If you're going to shoot a big black bear, might be a 220-grain 30-06. Just a little heavier bullet projectile that you're shooting out. So that, the, the, oh. the caliber is the, you said size, but you, we really mean diameter, correct? The more the diameter yeah. than anything. Yeah, so like a, a .30. Yeah. Is a 30 caliber bullet. Yeah. But then the cartridge again is taking the powder, everything yes. into consideration for that, the length of it, the case, and everything. Right. And higher the grain, the bigger the punch. Proverbial punch. Proverbial, yeah. The ballistic yeah, yeah. punch of it, yeah. correct? What do they call that? The knockdown? Yeah. Is, it knockdown. The, is that what they call knockdown. it? Knockdown Whoa. power? Jeez. Well, that's a first. That's Careful a, now. Wow. Watch got, your computer. I got abuse going on. Spill. Yeah, and you can really get in, d depending on how technical you want to get, you can get into velocity and drop and all those kind of things, and it gets pretty technical. So what would the difference between, where is, what? and this is what always confuses me, is you get into the millimeters and then you get into the, where does, why did that happen? Why do we have all these different measurements of this stuff? No clue. Uh, probably gives us something to sit around on a podcast and talk about. Yeah. But really, if the average shooter around, say, Wisconsin, you're shooting less than 100 yards. Yep. So whether it's a 243 or a 416 Rigby, as long as you have shot placement, you're fine. So people do talk a lot about, um, well, what's the best elk caliber, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You hear 270 is a great flat shooting elk caliber. If you make a good shot, you're going to kill an elk with a 243, 30 at six, 270. Doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. Yeah. Because what I always get confused with with the, with those numbers, though, is like, you know, like a seven mm. We've had this conversation a million times around campfires. You call it a necked down version of a of a 300. 300. Yep. But so why not? So why is a seven mm not a 30 caliber? Is the the diameter is not quite the, correct? The bullet is smaller. So you're, you have a magnum caliber, like the powder yeah. is a magnum, 
which means you're going to shoot it faster and flatter because it's a lighter, faster bullet. Okay. Sounds like it's better than a 300 to me. I'm just one of those. They're they're all good. So let's, real quick, you have your caliber or cartridge. You have your cartridge, your actual gun itself, be it the the brand, model, all that kind of stuff, or your glass. To make a good, ethical, clean kill, which one to use the most important? Mm. I would spend the most amount of money on my optics. Ooh, isn't that, yeah. What do they say? If the cost of your rifle is this, your optic should be like... We X always tried to get people into, when, we, when I was more involved in, in selling firearms, you first have to feel comfortable shooting it. If you have too big of a firearm, especially for kids, if you have too big of a gun that they're going to shoot it, they're not going to enjoy shooting it, and then they're going to flinch. Mm-hmm. Or just get out of hunting because it's not fun. Mm-hmm. No one yeah. wants to get beat up when they're shooting. So comfortable with the gun, but I would say the most important would be your optics. Optics. Okay, so... So then transitionally, you were just talking about um, in, it's intimidating for new hunters. So let's talk to the new hunters right now. Uh, again, we'll get into your favorite caliber yep. here soon. But when you're talking new hunters, you, you kind of started to touch on it about that intimidation, about everything from kids, but also up to new hunters yep. and adults. You know, we've had some very close friends um, that recently get into this. They're in their mid-30s and they're just getting into hunting. So as if you're talking to a... A new hunter, no matter no matter the age, maybe an adult new hunter. Um, what what would you recommend in, in regards to picking a caliber right. and so, cartridge? So I walk in mm-hmm. to your store. Yep. And I, right from the giggle, I want to buy a hunting rifle. Yep. You would say. So again, and I know we'll talk about it more later. <laughs> I'm a huge thirty caliber bullet fan. And the reason is it can go down to, say, a 308 caliber, which is a, um, a smaller casing. So it's going to have, in theory, less recoil. It's going to have a size bullet, a 30 caliber bullet, which has a range where you go a little bit lighter, a little bit heavier. But then you can also get uh, low recoil bullets. So you can get a young person or a new hunter behind that firearm with a low recoil bullet and have lots of flexibility where it's not going to be as intimidating as a 300 Winchester Magnum mm-hmm. or a 7mm mm-hmm. Magnum or whatnot. So I would say a 308 because you can start them with low recoil bullets and then transition them into shooting an elk. But let's back up. Mm-hmm. When the first thing you'd ask me, though, would be, well, what are you going to hunt for? Right? And so, yeah. and so I guess for conversation's sake, we could mm-hmm. say this is strictly because we live in the Midwest we're looking at, I want a rifle that will, that will help me harvest white-tailed deer. Yep. And basically, as long as it's bigger than a 22, <laughs> pretty much any, <laughs> any caliber, right. caliber will do. Um, so, so 308, you're saying, is, is probably like your, this would be my go-to that would be my starting go-to. point. Correct. Yep, yep. And there are lots of people that would jump into a 243. Again, recoil-wise, 243 would be less. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the whole flexibility of a 30 caliber bullet, though. You couldn't get it as heavy. And that's the one thing I, I, I've told you this, and I know we've disagreed on it, but I, <laughs> that, the 243 youth model, 
kicks like a freaking meal. Yeah. It, it is not fun to so, shoot because they're so loud. Yeah. They kick because they're so light. They're so small. And that's a big that's a big cartridge for a little gun. So any youth model firearm is smaller frame on every mm -hmm. angle. I would personally not recommend a youth model because of that yeah. right there. And they all come, from what I understand, is most come with three uh, the two point safeties now that was the biggest thing when dad bought that's us what, dad bought us our 243s and it was always because the used models then were the only ones with a two point safety so you had to go click click, click. to get it to yeah. and you could unload on that second safety yeah you didn't need whereas to back the, but I, it's my understanding that now rifles pretty much most of them all have a two safety. point and you can yep. unload on safety yep and and with rifles too i would not recommend the trusty turdy turdy Lever action, yeah, which okay. is, you know, that firearm has been around forever and ever and ever. It killed maybe, I don't know if it's 30 out 6 has taken over now, the most amount of animals in the world. Mm -hmm. But a lever action is just hard for a new hunter. Yeah. So my go-to would be the ability to have a lower recoil bullet mm -hmm. in a full-size firearm. So... Are you, like, are you talking just for kids? For for newer, newer younger hunt hunters. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess yeah, newer hunters. It might even be a shock when you like get behind a, a gun and like oh right. shit. And what that. you don't want to do is get scared of shooting it because right. if you're scared of shooting it, you're not going to enjoy it and you're not going to want to do yeah. it. So three oh eight. That's would that's, be my go to. That's your that's your go to. Do you remember? Do you remember we? Uh, I forget what Ace Hardware store dad. Dad and Uncle George found it Baldwin. I think it was Baldwin. Baldwin. So I had some big gun shop. Oh, yeah, Baldwin. Like it was a hardware store. Hard, hardware yeah. store, and they were on sale. And it was the exact one that Dad was looking for. <laughs> or probably Uncle George said, "Hey, you gotta come. I got one for Crystal and Brooke. This is awesome. All that good stuff." So yeah, but um, that's where it started for three, us. Yeah, but Typi man, typically hunters though remember all of those things. I remember going to Northern Minnesota gun store with my uncle and my dads to buy a Remington 742. Yeah. I remember the smell, yep. the feeling. I my first shotgun, I remember. I remember the first time. Uh, so it's it's fall. We're here in Eau Claire, and we go find one of those, you know, just those offshoot uh, local dumps that people just turned yeah. into a dump, you know? Big and, falls. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you, you would show up and you'd shoot. Yep. I remember my dad always saying, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. And I was shooting his 30-30 lever action. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I got it right about here. Boom. Scared the shit out of me, you know. But luckily, I recovered from it. Yep. Uh, was able to, you know, was able to still be fine around uh, guns. But you're right. Last thing you need is somebody to be scared, whether it's recoil right. or it goes off the wrong way, discharges the wrong way. So why... 308 versus the 270 because 270 still has low recoil yep. stuff all that kind of stuff so just your personal, personal opinion preference. why just personal preference yep. and the 270 is again a great caliber again mm -hmm. with the standard around wisconsin you can go into most gas stations most ace hardwares yep. you can find 308 270s 30-06 300 winchester and probably 243s mm -hmm. always now 6.5 creedmoor because there's so many shells out there. Yeah. But what where did the 65 come? No, I when, have no When did that clue. come? That's only that's like 2018 it, or it something. It feels that that gun came out of the blue and got tons of legs. Probably I feel because every other gun was gone. So some writer wrote something about a 65 Creedmoor and 
Everybody but, wanted it. But shit, I'm on a couple of Facebook groups. They give six five Creedmoor mm-hmm. owners crap. Mm-hmm. Even Adam does. It's kind of like owning a pellet grill. <laughs> I just do it every every time. Luke, what's your favorite grill? What brand? Well, is your favorite I, I, grill? I do enjoy Jeez. my Traeger. <laughs> But what's your favorite, though? You my Holland. Your I Holland will grill. always go back to my Holland. Okay, so now, and that's the thing with Wisconsin. You talk about anything Midwest, and outside, if you're, if you think about what are we going to use rifles for, mm-hmm. outside of varmints, that's bear and whitetail. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, what other? There's no other big game. I mean, I know we have our unique elk hunt in Wisconsin, um, but other than that, that's pretty much it so when somebody comes in now yes you're going to ask but and that's what i get frustrated with talking with people is because everybody starts to read forums and blogs and all that crap and facebook groups and everybody thinks they're an expert in calibers and cartridges and all this kind of crap when it does boil down to it you're talking fractions of inches you're talking millimeters at 200 300 yards where guys like us, I, I don't shoot enough to be that good. Yeah. Two tree hunting. I mean, what, how did we sight in our guns when we were kids, Aaron? We'd take a milk jug out at 150 yards and put it out there, and give, Dad would give us three shells and you hit it. Okay, we're good. We're good. Pack <laughs> and up, head home. And But, I mean, we had all of our, I mean, I wounded one deer. We, we didn't end up finding it. But other than that, all of my harvesting has been ethical and yeah. quick and clean. And around Wisconsin and Minnesota, I would say the average shot, just because of the terrain, is 50 yards or yeah. less. Yeah. yeah, it has to yeah. be. So, again, back to being comfortable with a, with a gun, it doesn't really matter what caliber it is if you know how to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, ethical hunting, tab K, which is that firearm safety piece, if you yep, do yep. all of those things right, it really doesn't matter around here. Now, I would say... I would not take a 243 to shoot an elk or mm-hmm. a moose. Yep. So the most versatile firearm, if you were to come in and say to me, if I want to hunt anything in the world, anything from a small white-tailed deer up to a Kodiak bear on Kodiak Island, my go-to again would be a 300 Winchester Magnum. Wasn't that your dream gun? Yes. My caliber and gun? Yeah. Yeah. So since then... <laughs> My I can't say anything my, else because uh, I guess it's rude. No, but model, the collecting. Model one, model, so or, the greatest firearm, in my opinion, in the world is a Ruger number one. Ruger number one. Right. Ruger number in one. a 300 Winchester Magnum. Now, yeah, if you're listening, if you're watching, drop a comment and let us know what you think about that. <laughs> if I could, <laughs> it's all. I mean, I've seen, yeah. I've seen them, and yeah. it is awesome. It is a single shot, old. I mean, the the couple that I have were were made in the early 70s. Um, in the 30 caliber type bullet, but I'd really love a first generation 308. Mm. But uh, but the go-to rifle for anything in the world, I would say, is a 300 Winchester. Okay. Um, so again, choosing choosing the right caliber. Uh, there's let's let's dive into some other criteria that you should actually also think about, not just feel, fit, all that good stuff, but there's some other thing, like, for instance, cost. Um, cost of, and I'm not talking about cost of the actual rifle itself. Mm-hmm. Let's talk cost of ammunition. <laughs> and it ranges. Yeah. I mean, it goes talk anything a little bit about from that. if you shot a 
Weatherby and you shot a 300 Weatherby round, you're pushing $100 a box. $20, you know, it's a lot. Now, you're also not going out just, you're not going out to the range plinking, you know. So I would say, though, if you are going to have a firearm that you dial in to be the one firearm you use, you should know how it shoots. Yeah. So, like my firearms, you could shoot a power shock, federal power shock ammo, differently than a premium type Hornaday shell. I personally won't pay the premium dollar because my gun shoots a power shock. The gun's going to shoot much better than I will ever be able to shoot. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I try not to break the bank with it. But yeah, you can spend a pretty penny on on ammo. But if, so, so would it be would it be safe to say that uh, when choosing your caliber, no matter what caliber, you should bank or budget fifty bucks a box? Yeah, I would say on the high end. Mm-hmm. You know, if you found a .30-06 box of shells, you probably could get it for that 20 to $30 range. Yeah. Now, nowadays, you know, I always wait till there's a rebate mm-hmm. and, or a sale. Um, again, back to the, the standard type calibers of a 270, 308, anything that you can get where you routinely go, because if you accidentally forget your shells mm-hmm. or something happens... Oh, yeah, yeah. You, mm-hmm. If you had an oddball caliber, which are cool, yeah. but... And those are tougher to find right now, yes. because as we know with the record sales, um, most of those are pretty common calibers, and yeah. the ammunition um, manufacturers stopped production on all the rare, more rare calibers yeah. and cartridges and flooded everything into your more common mm-hmm. uh, 30 calibers, the 223s, the 9 millimeters, all that kind of They flooded all their production of that. So now that's at least that's what I've seen. I don't know if you guys have been out lately, yeah. but I walked through Shields here in Eau Claire, and yeah. there was a lot. There was plenty of the co- more common calibers right. to pick from now because so, they flooded it. So now you're getting into way. selection. Correct. So, you know, you got cost, but now think of selection. So, like, you're talking about 308. 308 is the most common, and Federal uh, makes, I think it, it was, uh, Federal makes 32 different varieties right. of 308s. Yep. Um, so that's a common one. So you can say, like, yeah, I'm going to do a 308 because I know cost and I know selection is right there uh, with it. But then you can get into some calibers. What, example of some calibers where you're like, be prepared. You don't have the amount of selection uh, variety. That's out there. Yeah, back to like the Weatherby comment. If you had a 300 Weatherby caliber, that's a pretty specialty type firearm. Mm-hmm. So you're only going to be able to find that typically at a Cabela's or Shields or or whatnot. You're not going to find it typically in a Ace Hardware in Prairie Farm, Wisconsin. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't just Prairie Farm have an Ace. There's no way. Prairie Farm has an Ace Hardware, do they? I don't know. I shot a 50 caliber one time at Prairie Farm. Didn't you? I did. That's awesome. So when it comes to recoil, that's another, I mean, that's probably one thing, especially as the young kids, I know for a fact, because we have five of them in our family, between her and I combined, we go up. It's one thing most kids are afraid of. And I would say, yes, like you said, in the back of your mind as an adult, that's probably getting into it recoil is something to consider too so 
talk about the things to consider with recoil. I know we talked about low recoil rounds, all that kind of stuff. So touch on that. Yeah. So generally speaking, a semi-automatic type firearm will recoil less than a bolt action just because of the way the action works with gas and yes, whatnot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if you wanted the least amount of recoil, a semi-auto would probably be a pretty good choice. Um, but as far as you know, things you can do, they make, uh, which I have on my younger kids' firearms, recoil reduction pads that basically screw off of the stock of your firearm. So if you bought a Tika, it comes with a standard butt pad. You can screw that off, screw on a recoil reduction pad, and that has a, a heavy influence on it as well. So I would encourage any new hunter or even old hunter, the older I get, it's, it's not fun shooting magnum rounds. No. So I have those on all my firearms too, just to reduce it a little bit so you don't get jumpy at all. Yeah. Um, but you have to make it fun. So anything you can do to cut it and reduce it a little bit is, is key. So they talk, they talk in this one article, they talk about you need to determine personally what you can tolerate when it comes to, to uh, recoil. But generally speaking, shooters say recoil becomes uncomfortable past 15 foot pounds. Uh, so I don't even know what that is. But if you can go to the recoil energy uh, of most rifle calibers, you can check out. It's called Chuck Hawk's Recoil oh. Table. Uh, and we'll make we'll we'll link it in the show notes does here. Does that does that include the synthetic versus just a big ass yeah. oak stock? Mm-hmm. I mean, does reco- does the weight of the stock affect that too? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. It's so, got so in this one yeah. before you go, it has the rifle weight, the recoil energy, and the recoil velocity okay. based on the cartridge, starting with a seventeen uh, HMR all the way down to a six hundred. And that and it goes by the weight of the total. I mean, it, it obviously makes sense, and I just want it, that's another thing to consider. It's they're heavy to like. There's my seven mm mag, just a big old wooden stock, and it's heavy. But there's not much recoil. I mean, it, it, there is, but it's not like I swear my two forty three youth model right kicks harder than that seven mm. So if you were going to go hunting for elk in the mountains, you're not going to want to carry. A 12 yeah. pound rifle. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple Tika T3 lights yeah. and they're tremendously light, but on the flip side of it, <laughs> they do they, kick they like punch a, mule. You a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But you when, you're, it. when you're like Aaron, the, one of the funniest stories about Aaron is he's in the Washburn County Forest the first year we're hunting up there. And that was back when the Wisconsin DNR had a tracking thing. I don't know if they got in trouble for it or if they just get, because they did away with it like one year later, but you could share your code with other hunters mm-hmm. and then you could see where you were and you yeah. tracked Aaron. I think by the end of the day, it was like eight miles and he was just <laughs> all over, but you're going to want to be carrying something light if you're right. going to be somebody who's walking, but right. if you're somebody who's yep. walking, you know, a quarter mile and sitting in the stand all day, then something heavier might be a better option because they do, they're easier to handle and keep steady to yes. a little yes. heavier gun. Yep. And you'll notice when you, those of you that have shot a big game animal or really any animal, when you uh, go for the kill shot or when you're shooting an animal, you generally don't feel the recoil. Yep. You feel the recoil when you're sighting it in. Mm-hmm. So back to that, you need to be comfortable so you're not flinching when you go mm-hmm. want to harvest an animal ethically. Which is why I got a nice 
uh, Savage 270 package deal for $399. Yep. And I love that thing. Synthetic stock. I, and I don't mind if it, you know, yeah. it's banged around. So, so that's, so that's recoil. Uh, and then the other one, the most, the, the fourth criteria, the most common one is range and power, which it seems like a lot of people love to jump on that statistics statistic. But at the end of the day, a white-tailed deer isn't going to know whether it got hit by a 243 right. or a 308. If you hit, if you hit the deer in the vitals, chances are it's dead. So right? I always go back to think about my uh, 12-year-old son, first time that he could pull his bow back hard enough to be legally hunting it with a bow, and the first night out there he shot a doe. So if his bow at 38 pounds could ethically kill a deer it doesn't matter if it's a 243 or 300 winchester as long as you make a good shot yeah yeah now when i when i get out to when i get out to wyoming right and you're you're taking a even then when we get out there uh we don't feel like we don't i'm not comfortable ethically taking a shot more than shit 250 yards you know, but there's so much more space, <laughs> open space around that deer. I know some can get a little bit bent out of shape uh, around around that. But then you're getting into the, you know, you know, you're getting into the ballistics of that right. of the bullet, anyways. So and that stuff is really fun to research, but for me, I can't remember all of it either. Yeah. And that would be my. I don't know, and that's you're on here, so we can ask you those questions. But I tell you, I think the one mistake a lot of people make is they do they get on the Facebook groups and the blogs and the forums, and they then they start to learn all about that. And then oh, I don't like this calorie because it's right. you know you know it drops this or it raises this, and it's not it's we're again we're not good enough to notice a difference. Correct. We're shooting inside of a hundred yards, inside of fifty yards, and right. we're shooting at something the size of probably a half gallon milk jug. Correct. You know, and if you can hit inside that, and you're going to be able to do that with a lot. I like your point of um, getting to know how your rifle shoots, no matter what you get. Uh, I know a lot of rifle ranges, a lot of gun shops will sight your rifle in for you, yes, which will. is awesome. Yep. Because I, I think most people don't know enough about that, or, or they're going to go through three boxes before they, whereas you take it to... You know, a gunsmith like a Chris Gage. We'll name drop him. He, I know he's you think great. highly of him. He's wonderful. <laughs> and he's done a lot of work on a lot of weapons for us as well. Um, but you take it to something like him, and then three shots, he's got it zeroed yeah. in at 110 yards, and it's just spot on. But then still take that rifle out, shoot it a few times, and get to know, you know, get to know that rifle and all of that kind of stuff. Because it is. The range and power, uh, it's... Again, keep in mind if you're listening and watching, we're talking from our vantage point of Midwest, yeah, Northern Wisconsin. Um, it does the the conversation probably changes if we're if we're talking about an elk hunt in out or west, or something mountain like goats, or yeah. brown bear, yep, or prairie dogs, prairie in dogs. Wyoming, prairie dogs in Wyoming. So so here's okay, real quick. I shot a seventeen. We we're at about what one twenty five to one fifty. Mm -hmm. Breezy, yeah. I noticed the 17 got pushed around a little bit. Um, Aaron shot a 223. Prairie dogs 
that's probably a little much for, I mean, it's, it's, if you're, and we put, I mean, we figured Aiden probably put 120 mm-hmm. rounds through his gun. Pretty much. Um, that's a lot of kicking with mm-hmm. a 223. Uh, they, out there, they said a 224. Mm. Yeah. Was it a 224? 224, I think. Or yeah. 224 and I, a 22, 250. 22, 250 is what that's, I would go. Yeah, that was the one yeah. I, oh, I want to get that one. Um, all right. Uh, Luke just texted me that he has to pick up his son. He could have yeah. just said that. He could have just said, I need to pick up my son. I didn't know how son. professional we were. <laughs> oh, no, no. Dude. Dude, all we right. got to wrap this up. I got to go. All right. Well, I could talk about this stuff all day. I love this stuff. Okay, real quick. Let's do, mm-hmm. let's rattle this off really yep. quick. I'm going to give you a caliber and you quickly just one sentence advantage of said caliber. Advantage of said caliber. Okay. okay. Ready? Here we yep. go. 243. Small. <laughs> is that an advantage? <laughs> yeah, I think well, a 243 again is a great round for somebody entering a, a young hunter. I mm-hmm. think it's a, a much it's a manageable round if you want to hunt deer. Yep. You could shoot a coyote with it if you wanted to. And right now at Midway USA, there's 61 different varieties of 243 yeah. shells. To and you can with. find them anywhere. This wasn't one yep. sentence. All right, yeah, here we sorry. go. <laughs> it's going to be uh, long. 30 <laughs> 30. Uh, the 3030 is an interesting caliber. It's getting less and less popular. Um, so I guess personally, I'd have a hard time buying a 3030 unless I wanted to go back to the heart of what, like a, an original rifle. From yeah, the United yeah. States they are fun. I shouldn't say fun. They're very, um, like when you're walking on a drive or just walking and yeah. stalking, whoa. They're awesome. They but again, that's awesome. a 30 There's, caliber bullet. Yeah. 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 I will never forget the time. I hope she listens to this. I was hunting with my cousin Crystal. I come up over the ridge, and she was carrying uh, Uncle George's thirty thirty. Deer starts running across the field, and she's got it down on her hip. Boom! Shh, boom! I mean, she was just firing away. I was just like, "Oh shit!" Okay, six five Creedmoor. Oh, I can't comment Trigger. on that, Cal. Yeah, hello, girl. <laughs> come on. If you'd like to read forums, get a six five Creedmoor. Yes, there you go. Oh my god. All right, here we go. 7mm. It's a 7mm 08 Remington. Small again for a very nice caliber for a youth hunter. Okay, 308. One of the greatest calibers out there. (laughs) No shit. Tons of variety, easily accessible, larger bullet where you can shoot a bigger game if you wanted to hunt an elk or, or whatnot. 300. Greatest caliber, most universal caliber in the world. 30 out six. Again, yeah, right crazy. there as well. <laughs> uh, the Magnum bullet is the, the 300 Winchester Magnum gives you a little bit more oomph, but 30 out six again is probably the most, most widely used rifle out there. Okay. So, one last question. Yeah. When you go in to pick out your next gun, yes. are you a synthetic stock guy or are you a Woodstock guy? So, I have always been a Woodstock guy but they're getting harder and harder to find. Um, so my next rifle is going to be probably another Tika, the T3X, which is a great, light, wonderful rifle. Okay. So Is it just because everybody's now into synthetic stocks and not so into the wood grain? I, th- wood? I think walnut's getting harder and harder to find as True. well. Yeah. I sat in my deer stand with my 300 uh, Winchester Ruger number one, and it got like snowed on and scratched and I thought you know I need a gun that I can beat up a little bit more so <laughs> a stainless steel Tika you, you can't hardly get a, a nicer firearm that's where you get the savage 
The cheap <laughs> Savage 270. Hey, it's good. As long as it shoots straight. It shoots straight. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean. All rifles now are so good. It's the shooter can't shoot the rifles as well as the rifle can shoot. Yeah. That's so, a good. That's deep. That is deep. Say that hey, one more, say that one more I can't, time. I can't. I can't. I can't remember. We should, we should get a t-shirt made. T-shirt. Yeah. Every episode, that, yeah. that's a t-shirt. The shooter can't shoot it. As well as the rifle, rifle can shoot, shoot it. it. It was something like that. Some, we'll look back on the film. Yeah. We're good. Oh, right. Well, hey, everybody. Um, that's, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as usual, you can um, find us on all the typical socials that you would normally. Uh, don't forget, we recently launched our website, noidea.tv, to stay up with our latest merch there as well. Aaron, what else we got? Well, if you have any questions, if you are new, new to hunting, if, um, if you're looking for a gun for this next, for the upcoming gun deer season, you have a question that, you, that we didn't answer or we didn't talk about, Drop it in the comments because we will get back to you. Luke will help us out <coughs> to answer your questions. And um, but yeah, drop it, drop it in the comments uh, down in the show notes. Uh, we'll we'll link up everything we've talked about so that you can click there as well. But again, big huge shout out to Luke for joining us because he's a busy man, as you know. He's got to go pick up his kid. So busy. He's so busy. Tough day. Um, <laughs> you were just you were. I looked out my back window and you were just driving a yellow four-wheeler around in circles in your backyard. Okay, so I filled up <laughs> with a flat tire, so I put fill seal in it because I'm too cheap to buy a new tire. So I had to get it. You had to mix it I up. I had to mix had it, mix it mix up. It, mix it all of it. There you go. It was a, from everybody in the neighborhood was like, what, what the hell is he doing? And you were, I, at first I had to look, I thought it was bush light, but it was nope, Dr. Pepper. It was Dr. It was Dr. Pepper. Pepper. Gotcha. So, no, all right. Was, well, this was like a, this was like a, a tree beer episode. A tree beer episode. Tree, tree white claw. So, well, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> thanks everybody. Okay. Good talk. You're supposed to say see you out there. Oh, see you out there. <laughs> it'll catch on. Someday it'll catch on.